The framework of business is completely different in the new normal. To explore culture as the strategy, we have to look in places we haven't before. Looking into company culture from the C-suite to employees and from Fortune 500 to startups. It's time to understand the human side of company culture and the new shape it is taking. This is the conversation on Culture Factor 2.0, and I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Matteo Atti is the Executive Vice President of Marketing and Innovation for VistaJet. In this role, he leads a global marketing team in charge of the entire customer journey. He began his career in Gucci during the Tom Ford tenure and spent part of his formative career with Hermes. He has led Nokia retail campaigns for over 30,000 shops, as well as headed the business development team for Bottega Veneta, catering to the luxury fashions elite. In London, he worked alongside Sir Paul Smith to refocus the business around its core attributes, products, and brand. In the past few years, his projects have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Rob Report, New York Times, Business Insider, and he has been a contributor to Forbes magazine as well. His ideas won the Legends Award from Departure Magazine in 2019 and 2020. And if that wasn't enough, Matteo is also a professor in luxury business development and a member of the academic board at the International University of Monaco. And today we have him on Culture Factor 2.0. So welcome to Culture Factor 2.0, Matteo. Thank you very much for inviting me, Holly. So let's uh, jump right into some of the uh, things that make um, Matteo and VistaJet uh, unique. So let's start with something that you spoke of called the finish lesson. And um, the key cultural element that you took with you um, through this lesson. Well, you know, Holly, I am Italian. And as an Italian, I have a very unique way of seeing the world and seeing things around me. Uh, I see everything as a possibility. I'm a positive person. I love the sun. But I've also been working in a culture that tends to be very hierarchical, that tends to value seniority over skill set sometimes, uh, and that tends to be um, a culture of expedience, uh, just being very creative and uh, creating things on the spot. And that has been my experience throughout school, uh, university, etc. And then at some point after my first uh, job, I was invited to join uh, an incredible company in Finland. And the company at the time was a world leader in mobile phones. The name now is almost forgotten, but at the time it was 42% of the entire global uh, mobile phone uh, business. And after interviewing for a couple of months, uh, I finally received the confirmation that I can start the job and I'm ready to move to Finland. And... The day I did accept the job was uh, in August. It was super hot, like 42 degrees at the seaside. And the day I started my job instead is the 29th of December. Plenty, just in the middle of winter. I arrive in Finland and my future boss says, I'll meet you at this address. So I grab a taxi, I go there. After 15 minutes driving in the middle of white snow, I arrive at a white warehouse. I find a white door and I enter into a white space. Inside this 
white space, there is a man not dressed in white um, who uh, greets me. He's super happy to meet me. He speaks to me for five minutes, hands me the keys to the warehouse, and then says, the agency is coming in in five minutes. You're going to brief them on what to do with this prototype retail store that we have designed in here. I trust you entirely. I'll speak to you in the new year. This person, this person <laughs> was trusting me so much that I would do my job perfectly well. And then we would report next week. And I had joined the company 30 minutes earlier. And that was the lesson I took. It was about trust. It was about uh, absolute trust and really believing that the other person will do their best in, under the circumstances. That was the beginning for me of two incredible years in a country where you could leave uh, uh, an expensive uh, watch uh, in a bar and uh, six hours later go back and find it on the same exact table. You could leave the door, the, the keys uh, of your car inside the car and nobody would take it. You could leave a door open in your own uh, house by the lakeside because if somebody was passing by the forest and needed shelter, they could enter in knowing that they would not steal anything or do anything strange. <laughs> well, admittedly, I mean, as an Italian, I found it a little bit outstanding and uh, surprising, but the level of productivity that you can have in a team and knowing that everyone is following these rules, where everyone is allowed to say what they think, but at the same time will stay silent if they have nothing to say, was the most productive environment I've ever met. Well, that is certainly a talent um, to also remain quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to say. Well, let's see. When they um, say, I'll, I'll have you jump in the lake, see if you can swim. Yeah, that was also a good start. <laughs> but very good. I mean, because I realized that I can survive. And I actually was uh, swimming literally in the frozen lake in the winter and, uh, do, and, and going in the middle of the snow in Lapland at minus 37 degrees. And you discover you can survive. You're much tougher than you think. And you just need to trust yourself. Wait a minute, you were swimming in the waters, in those frigid waters? Yeah, yeah, during the winter. Wow. I mean, wow. it's beautiful. Is that the Wim Hof method? You went out there and you did some breathing? Yeah, absolutely. You need to have a very good control of your breathing because it goes away. It's not, <laughs> it's not the easiest. But it's when, when you're a part of that culture and you see other people doing it, you see kids doing it, you, you, you realize that, okay, it, I, I trust you. If you do it, well, I'll do it. Well, what I really love is you were truly immersed in what um, in what trust was all about. You know, him just basically handing you the keys and walking away. And, and you ran that facility for a couple of years? Um, I was there just for the day. It was a, a hidden uh, project for a mega flagship store that we did in all the like capitals that. of the world, etc. So it was just for that day. And then I went back into headquarters. But <laughs> the, the, the incredible feeling of, uh, okay, somebody just handed me the keys to a prototype worth maybe 5 million euro. And we've spoken on the phone a couple of times and goodbye. I 
I honestly think that that can be harder because it's like, it's a pop-up, it's an activation. It's um, basically putting on a show for the day, which has a lot of moving parts to it. And especially when you don't even know where half the parts are. Um, so bravo, uh, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, I think the main learning, as you're saying, was trust and truth and openness, uh, but also being open to trial, uh, trialing ideas and uh, try to lead and, and do things your own way. And, and that is what I try to still do to this day, is letting my team feel the same thing when they're working with me. Now, I know you experienced this in Finland, but this started a while back. So I'm, I'm going to take the, our listeners back a little bit with you, Matteo. So um, you had learned from experts prior to even stepping foot in Finland. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you share with us what that winter circle looked like? Um, because obviously this is where you really cut your teeth before you ever even flew to Finland, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I was... Uh... I think most people I speak to say, think that I'm incredibly lucky, and, and I was. I will be doing a little bit of name dropping now for a couple of minutes, but that is just to... We love that. We love that. <laughs> it, it, because I was actually very lucky to meet and work with all these incredible people. So I started university studying communication sciences with uh, Umberto Eco, a uh, foremost uh, intellectual in Italy. And I still remember his first class... Uh, we entered the class and he goes, uh, thank you for joining this class. It was highly selective. Uh, the process to enter was incredibly uh, hard. And now that you're here, I'm sorry, I have bad news. There is no jobs for you. You're not <laughs> going to learn anything in this class that is going to get you a job. What you're going to learn is how to invent your job. Because nobody knows after the five years of this class, which ones are going to be the job that you can apply to. So I'll try to give you critical tools to come up with your own job. Which I think actually is so relevant today. Because it's incredibly relevant. First of all, people are going to school or they just graduated or um, they're looking for something new because we happen to just be going through this crazy pandemic, which I think has really, truly changed how we do business it's flipped the script however many ways you want to say that um so he actually was very much of a visionary by oh, absolutely walking, walking into the class and speaking that way he taught us to shape culture he taught us how culture works helping us understand what might happen and then the second person i met my first job after university was at gucci under Tom Ford. And I remember going uh, to his office and having to pass the three, pri the three personal assistants uh, outside of his office to be able to speak to him or give him materials. And I still have this memory of the first time I entered that office and he's sitting at the end of this beautiful white room. There seems to be a trend there. Uh, <laughs> with uh, nothing else but his table at the end. There was no distractions no hesitation and he was there head down and I was delivering him any materials for him to approve and review etc just by putting in a precise spot on his table and then he would work on it and give feedback no hesitation no distractions head down and designing and creating the vision and taking down the visions from his head to the paper for the company that 
you know how it went on, right? The years I was there was he had just taken over a year before, a year and a half. So incredible years of creating the Gucci group and taking it to where it is today, right? A global powerhouse. What an interesting way for you to start your career. I mean, he um, is not your typical boss. I mean, he doesn't sound like he really interacts with you. He doesn't necessarily give you tools for growth. It's almost like um, a, maybe a quiet trust or maybe it was a blind trust. He basically just let you hand him materials and then you were given your orders and it's it a very focused way of working. I mean, he would work 14 hours a day. Um, it was very focused. He would say exactly what he wanted and give incredibly clear briefs so that the team could go on and do their part and bring it back to him for sign off. So that was an incredible way. And then when going on, I went to with Thomas Meyer at Bottega Veneta. And again, I remember there was this O for... Uh, this incredible designer who had led Hermes uh, for many years and was relaunching Bottega Veneta to be the most profitable brand in the group. Uh, and I remember everyone saying, don't disturb him, don't disturb him. Uh, when he's here, he needs to work, etc." And I entered the elevator with him one day and he was just the nicest, warmest person I've ever met. A person who was interested and asking me about uh, what the clients were thinking of the product uh, and how the marketing campaign were received etc an incredibly curious person with the just biggest heart and everyone was instead thinking of having to put him on a pedestal because he was such uh, a great designer and, and again you discover that every big person is a person worth knowing right? and a person worth uh, uh, approaching not idolizing. Did you find that working for all of these incredible designers and, and visionaries were uh, part of the way you learned to lead and to use trust as your main tool for for doing business with people? I, I think so. And I think so. It's understanding that these were people doing their best. They were incredible people, but at the same time, they were simply very focused and honest on the results they wanted to go about. Uh, when I moved to London, working for Paul Smith, the guy is an absolute genius in terms of creativity. He is the most curious person. His motto is, uh, um, you can find inspiration in everything and you can't find it, look again. And the, I remember when uh, he was showing me proudly his coat of arm. He, he's a sir, right? So he's, a, he's been knighted with a queen. And when he was designing his coat of arm, he designed a jacket with six arms. And underneath it, he wrote the word, never assume which is all about, don't be afraid of breaking the rules. So don't be a, a, a don't assume that anything that you know is fixed. Otherwise, there will be no progression. Try to look at things under a different light and make it your own and go out and make a mistake. And if it doesn't work, change again. Every morning I would enter the office and he, he normally would come into the office at like 6 a.m. So by the time I was in the office, which was not 6 a.m., uh, I would find a post-it on my computer with the ideas for the day. And 
I would go to him and say, I haven't even finished the one you left me yesterday. And he said, oh, but this one is even better. Let's do this one. <laughs> so the constant flow of energy, but when you have a clear vision of what you want in front of you, that is what is going to motivate you. That is going to go to take you to the next level. The passion for delivering something even better than the day before. Yeah, his enthusiasm must have been such a great driver for you because you it probably encouraged you to keep learning and making the, your products better with him. Absolutely. And that is why that is what I'm trying to apply now. I'm at Vistajet, uh, so the only global private aviation company. And uh, you would think that private aviation is quite a stable, simple business, right? You take people, put them on a plane and, and get them somewhere else. And that's exactly the mold that with the team we're trying to break. And it's about becoming a beautiful place to be, not just a transportation system. We try to make every minute inside that cabin a beautiful moment, something that our members want to experience again, something that our members want to share with their friends, something that inspires people to see the world with new eyes, explore new routes and make new businesses, uh, relax or even just uh, pick up a book that we wrote for them uh, and we left in the cabin on the bedside table it's it's really nice to hear that because i think um in the event space um while we've lost a lot because of the pandemic i think we've gained a lot in focusing on experiences and that could be in a hotel, it could be in a luxury private jet, um, that could be in the food delivery that comes to your house. Um, it could just be how people try to celebrate a birthday now or a ritual. So I think it's all distilling down to experiences and, and really the best experience ingrains itself in our memory, right? Um, it, are, are you looking for partnerships then um, with VistaJet that is um, that aligns with the idea of experience and just creating a beautiful place to be? That is exactly where I'm going. I was quite worried this year. I've been in luxury all my life and I know personally a lot of the people in the industry and I know how difficult it is to build a experience, uh, expertise, uh, handcrafting capabilities, and uh, and really how precious the knowledge is in the industry. And I was seeing it um, kind of being eroded by the fact that people cannot access it, by the fact that people cannot always uh, be on a plane, that they cannot travel anymore, that they cannot shop anymore the way they used to do, or even have face-to-face -face conversations with these incredible creators of experiences. So during the year, I've uh, worked on several projects uh, where by partnering with the best people in each uh, market, in each industry, and that respond to the same type of customers, to the same level of customers, we can come up with new ideas, ideas that are adapted to the times that allow us to, to go through these difficult moments and retain that expertise and to create something even better, something that was not out there before. I have to say, as hard as it's been uh, the last uh, nine months, from uh, a professional perspective, it's been an incredibly creative pattern. 
uh, we've created incredible things. Uh, we've come up with uh, new concepts. Uh, we have designed experiences we've never done before. And now we are, we announced uh, 50 partners uh, just last month. Uh, we're going to announce another 50 at the beginning of next year, tying uh, the experience of our ultra high net worth uh, customers across uh, different industries, be really becoming part of their daily life. So the ability to listen, the ability to look into what they find hard today means that we can use the skill set that we have and that our partners have to weave a completely new picture. That's, that's amazing. I mean, to find a way to weave yourself from your product to their daily life and, and sort of looking at it from that vantage point, um, that's a huge undertaking. I think um, what's so interesting is that you have so many new partners and that these past nine months has actually been a springboard for you, um, especially in the luxury market. <laughs> it's just... Well, it's you are exposed, uh, when you are exposed to incredible people, your brain fires up and runs 100 miles an hour, right? When you work with a Led Zeppelin to do scarves inspired by their uh, albums, uh, or when you are designing... Uh, um, an incredible uh, safari route uh, and then uh, um, an ocean safari that go, takes you through different continents uh, and then you're going to go deep in the ocean uh, on a submarine and you're going to do a video with uh, an award-winning video maker to bring home uh, to your friends uh, and then you're working on a tour of the world to explore the most incredible hidden kitchens in the world to try the best flavors in the world. And then you go down to a small leather manufacturer who can design uh, anything that is linked around the passion of one of your customers. I mean, anything is possible. You know, your, your team, you must have a really interesting um, company culture within your team because they're constantly trying to come up with um, new ideas and to be really creative and um, to innovate uh, and to innovate even more than they did the day before. It's, it's just interesting to me that the, some of the lessons that you learned back in school from Umberto Echo, you're actually deploying with your team and that you're coming up with all of these new and inventive ideas it's, it's pretty amazing I, I think you need to inject curiosity right when you have somebody coming to you the reason they get excited is not the salary it's not how many hours you work is am i going to be proud of what i've done today and what i've achieved today so first you need to make sure that they keep their eyes open only if your eyes are open you can spot that opportunity then they come back to me and 99 percent of the time i said yes try so you need to let them open to explore the possibilities they've identified, guide them through it so they have a higher success rate. Because ultimately, if you work together and you both succeed, that's the best outcome. And not being afraid. And also, if we haven't tried something before, I cannot ask them to guarantee success. We will know once we are 10% in, we will evaluate again. When we are 20% into the project, we will reevaluate and getting closer to the end, we will be able to check what are the what is the outcome, right? How can we rate the success of that project? 
we cannot know before having tried. Well, how liberal are you are though to um, to be open to that, to trying things? Um, it just must be a breath of fresh air for your team um, that you they could probably guess that you're going to be open to trying because you're 99 percent of the time as you said going to be open to trying new things so from a creative point your team must be off the charts what you will find is that i do sanction people who stand still so they have a clear example that i'm not happy with anyone who doesn't produce new ideas or who doesn't put themselves at risk that is not acceptable. We are in a highly entrepreneurial company where the personal uh, the personal results are very highly regarded and where it's expected for everyone to bring in something new to the table every day. But what I think is more interesting is when I ask my team to judge their own results because that allows me to see what is their benchmark. How do you how do they evaluate what they've done? What do they notice? What are they happy with? What didn't what they didn't even notice? Right? Because that I can understand, okay, then we see things differently because you thought these three were the most important things, and the way I see it is another three. So at least we can understand uh, how do we evaluate things, etc. It's not important how I set the goals. It's important that we share a definition of the goals, a definition of the metrics, uh, and a definition of the of how to get there to be happy. Mm. It's, it's great that you actually do that exercise. I think um, we're our own best critic, right? Like we, we know when we're at our highest level and we know when we're underperforming. So the fact that you put it back to them to make that evaluation is really interesting. Well, they tend it's, to be harder with themselves than I am. So yeah, well, we are all <laughs> they do the whole job. <laughs> right? We're our worst critic as well as our best critic. Um, as long as we're not too hard on themselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> so clearly we understand that like trust and allowing your team to innovate and to be entrepreneurs um, in their own right which talks a lot about what I talk about now on, on this podcast is leading where you are. Um, so I have a good sense of how Mateo leads. Um, how do you hire people though? How do you determine that they're going to fit into the culture and that they're going to be able to be given that runway and use it? How, how do you determine that? Oh, I simply ask them to be very direct with me and to tell me what am I doing wrong? Ooh, <laughs> That's got to be a really difficult interview. <laughs> it is a very difficult interview because they all try to be kind and nice to me, which is flattering and I love it. But uh, if they can uh, uh, remove uh, their hesitation and just go for the goal, I know that they will keep doing it. If they're not afraid in interview to tell me, you've done this right, but I think you're missing out on this and that, then I say, okay, fantastic. They'll keep doing it every day. Why would they not? If they can't do it in interview, which is the initial moment, etc., it doesn't matter whether they get it right and whether I agree or not, but if we cannot create during that first interview a sense that I want to hear from them, there's no point going ahead. Wow, it's like you're devoid of ego. I love that. 
you're just like just bringing on the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> no, no, no. Believe me, I'm highly confident, which is different from ego. I know that I've done so many things. I've been exposed to so many things that I have a a good base of experience. But by no means I've done it all. By no means I know better. And definitely, I want to try do things I've never done before. So I'm. I have nothing to hang on to apart from uh, my best intentions. I love that. I love that you're leading with your best intentions. You're using the gifts of um, learning about trust from past leaders. Um, You know, um, you also are a a professor. Um, Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, a professor of luxury business development. So I'm assuming you are taking some of the lessons you've learned from like Umberto Eco and and giving that to your students too, huh? It's quite the opposite way. I actually go into the room thinking I know so much. And every time I come out, I realize that they asked me questions that I never asked myself before. So what happens in that room is normally that I come out and I say, oh, my God, I need to go back to study. I need to... <laughs> well, you know, innocence with a new student, right? They don't. They've they, got nothing to lose. Forum, right? Yeah, they've got nothing to lose. They are paying for the classes. They are expecting the best. And when I fail them, because I don't have a, this beautiful story around the question, or I've simply never asked myself that question before i have no data to 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 use to respond to that they they look disappointed and i don't want to let one of these kids who want to make of uh, a business in luxury happen uh, go away with the sense that i didn't know about it so what i usually do is i go back and during the night i study and the next day i try to have an answer for them Ah, that's fantastic. I'm sure they're bringing different things to the table for you too, because it's, you know, a a new era, right? You know, we have a a lot of the students that are probably with you now are digitally native. Um, They look at social media and innovation and marketing and e-commerce very, very differently than um, even a millennial or a Gen X or a boomer. Like, it's so interesting. I bet you you're finding out, you you sort of get a a lead into how business is going to look maybe even in the next few years because they are approaching life so differently. They are approaching life very differently and also the definition of values and the way they use values to navigate life is very different. It's not just the digital tools uh, or the different use of photography or a different way to create relationships on the phone, uh, remotely, in person. It's the entire definition of how they see the world. Sometimes I use words to define the reality that I see and they just don't understand what I'm talking about. Because for them, the reality is defined by completely different criteria. They would never describe uh, a painting, a product, uh, an event the way I do it. They don't observe the world with the same eyes. They have a different set of eyes. Very interesting. Well, at least it lets you see what maybe the luxury consumer might be even a decade from now. Absolutely. And that is why I keep saying it's so important to preserve the existing knowledge of luxury 
because the skill sets are incredible, but we can never assume that we know how to do things because the things that we see today are possibly irrelevant to the next generation. So how do we continuously develop our skills to be meaningful and purposeful for the next generation of customers, the next generation of friends, or the next generation of people around us? Yeah, so it's it's sort of uh, interesting. We've come full circle. I love that we're sort of ending on the note about what culture really looks like. Um, from, from your work, from your teaching, um, and what you're seeing with the students coming out. I love that. Thank you, Matteo. My pleasure. Thank you, Holly, for having me. And, uh, hopefully this was of interest to your audience and, uh, anyone who wants to get in touch uh, and you, Holly, let's stay in touch. Uh, I'd love to continue our conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on Culture Factor. Thank you very much.